Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. you so much to the over 30 people who helped put the playground together and to many of you that gave to make it possible and we don't typically collect an offering now because of COVID but uh, it is still coming in and we appreciate it and uh, if there's um, one thing that's been so cool is just to see how your generosity hasn't been stopped by that and how God's love and faithfulness through you has shown through and so on behalf of all of us here at church we just want to say thank you so much for the part you play and if you haven't got a chance to check out the playground would invite you to go out after the service wait till I'm done then you can head out and play and uh, yeah so years ago researchers decided they would tell the story of the prodigal son to different groups of people throughout the world so they gathered people from all over the world, Sub-Saharan Africa, Eastern Europe, the North America, South America, Asia, and they told the story of the prodigal son. Then they asked for the people to, in turn, retell the story back of the prodigal son. Almost everyone throughout the entire world got it right. They got the younger brother, and they got the older brother. They got the father who ran to see his son. But there was one key difference between the groups around the world. Now, one key difference is, is there's a story that's buried, or there's an element that's buried in Luke chapter 15, in which, as Jesus told the story, he said that there was a famine in the land. And the people of North America, South America, Eastern Europe, no one had that point in their story. But everyone from Africa, and everyone from deep in India and Asia, they had that element because they were acquainted with what famine was like. They were familiar with a famine. And so for everyone else, they, they could recognize and they could empathize with an older brother, a younger brother, a father who loved them. But for many people, that idea of a famine and food scarcity never even crossed their mind, and so they viewed it as a minor detail. Unfortunately for most of us, thankfully, we've not had to deal with increasingly overwhelming circumstances. And so maybe you've heard over the past couple of weeks stories of depression or anxiety or, or massive stress and and maybe in the midst of this pandemic, you're an introvert who's been living your best life, and you're like, I don't know what people's problem is, but this is, the, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. And you're like, I don't understand what the problem is. And I'm afraid that we might be kind of like those people who just never seen a phantom, heard of a famine, and, and you just think, man, nobody's going through this. And in all reality today, as we wrap up this series called Overwhelmed, there's two groups of people in this room. There's one group of people who are overwhelmed right now. And it could be because of a loss of a job. It could be because of family struggles. It could be because of their health. It could be the loss of a loved one. So there's those people who are overwhelmed and struggling right now. And then there's the other group of people who will be overwhelmed in the future. It's not if, but when. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so today, I have two points. One's for the group who's currently overwhelmed, and one's for the group who's not overwhelmed, but most likely will be at some point. And I have two things and two accounts from Scripture I want to share with you this morning. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 reminds us that we all have a role to play. And if you want to flip over into 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll start there, and then we'll look at a character from the Old Testament. Because we know that the Apostle Paul was well acquainted with suffering. We know that he was well acquainted with, with hardship and trial. We know that he spent time in prison. We know that he was often beaten. 
And so he was well acquainted with suffering, and he was overwhelmed throughout many times in his life. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. He, his, the life of Paul is a fascinating study on struggles and problems, trials and pain. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, this is after a rather interesting letter in 1 Corinthians, he writes to the Corinthians again, and he tells them, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he describes God in this way, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in, in a few of our troubles, no, in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. I love that Paul describes God as a father of compassion and a God of all comfort. And he says that we can comfort those because of the comfort that we in turn have received from God. We have a role to play. If you find yourself overwhelmed right now, you need to understand that God is a God of comfort, that God is a God who, who comforts us in all of our troubles. And then I love that, he, that word, all. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can help or comfort those in any trouble. Comfort that God gives us through his word, through his people, is available to be handed out freely to people in need. And as the Apostle Paul begins his second letter to the, the group of Corinthians or the church in Corinthian, Corinth, he says that we can comfort others with the comfort that we in turn receive from the Lord. If you're struggling today and you find yourself overwhelmed, I want to remind you of this simple truth that God never wastes our pain. He never wastes it. You have to understand that God is in the redemption business. He's in the restoration business. And so when Paul is able to say this, this isn't somebody who just is, is giving laud platitudes out to say you can trust God. He's somebody who has physically seen and spiritually seen God show up in tangible ways. Unfortunately, we will... Uh, all of our pain may not be redeemed and restored until he returns. But he's in the process of using sometimes some of the most difficult things in our lives so that we can in turn go and help other people. He isn't wasting the circumstances. And when you look at what Jesus said, when he said that you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I've overcome all of that. Remember, we're sovereignly situated exactly where God wants us to be. And so if we believe that, and we trust that. We have to understand that God never wastes our pain, that he can take even the most difficult things. This is the story of Scripture. He takes the sinful, fallen humanity and redeems it in the most unlikely of ways. If you were to write the story of Scripture, you would never have the main character leave the perfection of heaven to come and die a painful death here on earth, to live for 33 years in perfection, and then to be handed over and, and pretty much betrayed by everyone who loved him. But even the story of Scripture reminds us that God never waste pain and sometimes he fixes it in this life and redeems it completely and sometimes we won't see the fruition of that until we're made whole but the first thing you need to understand is that god never wastes our pain i have a friend of mine who a couple years ago about five years ago he went through a very difficult time and as i was talking to him about it recently i was shocked because i had never seen somebody so close to me struggle in, in such a way and I was just blown away by this, and I thought, man, this is incredible. And so I love it, though, because you, many of you know him. His name is Rich Smith. He's one of our missionaries from Guatemala. And I said, hey, Rich, would you be willing to talk about your um, struggle with depression? And he said, oh, yeah. He's like, I got to tell people. 
what God has done, and I got to tell people what I've learned, and I got to tell people what, because I can't just hold on to that. He didn't give that to me just to hold on to myself. He gave it so that I could share with other people, and so uh, through the magic of somewhat good technology, you're going to hear from Rich here for just a few moments, and he's going to share a few, a few things that he learned, and so I invite you to watch here. Good morning, Westbridge. Uh, my name is Rich Smith. For those of you who don't uh, know me, uh, my wife, Sherry, and I are missionaries uh, sent by Westbridge to Antigua, Guatemala, where we serve um, in a variety of capacities, uh, pastoral training, uh, coordination. Um, we started a, a young adult ministry here at our local church. Uh, we distribute food right now during uh, the COVID crisis. Uh, we build houses um, for the poor. Um, you name it we're involved in it here and and we love it um, Tyson asked if I would be willing to share a small snippet of my testimony as it relates to depression and um, I told him I'm, I'm more than happy to do so uh, I think when we go through things in life um, it's important to share what we learn um, about ourselves about the Lord and his faithfulness and and this was um, about five years ago, I was 49 years old. Um, I had never suffered with depression. Um, and I went through a period of severe depression. Um, I had never been to a counselor. I had always worked through my issues, difficulties, any, any normal you know, periods of having a low or something that, that I'm gonna guess everybody experiences at some point in their life. Um, I'd always been able to work through things and and quite honestly um, I would never have said it but my thoughts were that counseling and having having things like depression were um, you know things that people that were weak um, went through and um, and I couldn't have been more wrong and one of the things that I that I learned um, I when I was going through this period, I, I don't think I've ever um, clung to the scriptures more, um, prayed more, read more, um, talked things through with my wife more. And, um, and, and through this experience, there were some, some really key learnings for me. I had been a believer for over 30 years at this point, um, probably uh, 35 or more. And um, one of the things that I, that really spoke to me was 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where it says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And I always felt um, as a man that I needed to be stronger than everything else, um, everybody else. I needed to be that rock. And, um, and you know what, that, where, where there are some good sides to, to striving towards that, we are weak. We are weak by nature and we need the Lord's strength. And this was, a, this was the hardest thing for me to come to, to terms with. And it was actually through a Christian counselor um, that just kind of hit me upside the head once, um, surprised me, and, and said, you know what your problem is? And I said, no, I don't. And, and they said, you aren't trusting the Lord. And I was kind of angry and, and pushed back on that. And, and, and they looked at me and they said, Rich, you're depressed because you think there's no hope. 
And with the Lord, you know there's always hope. You know he is always in control and that he always loves you. And so that kind of rocked my world. Um, I had to really look at my heart and, and, and come to terms with the fact that I had said all these years that I was trusting in him, but the reality was I was trusting in him as long as things were going well, as long as things in general were going the way I expected them to go, as long as I had a job, as long as I had money in the bank, as long as our health was good. Um, but scripture has a few things to say about that. And um, Psalm, uh, for example, Psalm 40, verse 4 um, says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Um, I was trusting in my plans. I was trusting in my wisdom, um, what I thought my life was going to look like and what it, how it should play out. And the Lord was calling Sherry and me, um, he was calling us to a life of missions and for me to leave my job and to sell our house and to leave our family behind and um, things that I was uh, quite frankly running from. And um, so this was my Jonah moment when I finally relinquished control of, of my own life, what I thought was me controlling things, which is a facade. Um, do I really want to be in control? Um, that's a scary thought because I know, I know my own decision making. I know my own lack of knowledge. Um, there are so many things where I am not strong enough, smart enough, and he is more than capable. He is, um, he's perfect. And he knows and he is seeking our best, not only for this life, but for um, life eternal. He is preparing us, he's molding us, he is putting us through um, trials and, um, and he's putting us through the fire so that we can be purified and sanctified. So the second part of that same verse, Psalm 40 verse four, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Um, sometime in my adult life, I began buying into the thought of the American dream, of working hard, um, being a success in the eyes of the world, making money, retiring early, and then spending the rest of my time um, for myself, for my wife and for our kids. and the Lord through this experience really um, brought me to my knees where I needed to recognize that I had begun trusting things that were a lie and um, only he is worthy of our trust only he is worthy of our faith only he um, is worthy of leading us and um, and that is what we need to charge hard after. And, and so those have been some of the key things that I have learned uh, through my experience with depression. Um, there were certainly more things, as I mentioned, that, I, that I've learned. 
Um, I would be happy to talk with anybody if uh, you want to uh, make contact with me. Uh, if you. Well, we lost the last part of it there, but uh, appreciate Rich being so willing to share openly. And I, I love that that's what he was willing to do. I also love that 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 God redeemed that, that God took something, this severe depression in Rich's life and, and used that to help direct him into what he's been doing for the past four years, which is, is be a missionary in Guatemala. And sometimes God does things like that, and sometimes they're different. And as you look at what Rich went through, and especially for those of us who are closest to him and seen what he went through during that time, it's just a, a thank you to God that, that God helped walk Rich through that circumstance. And so you, you may not find yourself in a situation like Rich was in. But if you don't find yourself in a circumstance where you're currently not overwhelmed, remember the first point was for the first group who's overwhelmed, that God never wastes our pain. The second point comes from a guy named David who is also very well acquainted uh, with suffering. It's in 1 Samuel 23. We're just going to look at four verses as we wrap up our time here this morning. And if you remember, David was overwhelmed a number of times in his life. And sometimes David handled it really well. Goliath he called upon the Lord and the Lord showed up and he handled it quite well. He was overwhelmed. He trusted the Lord. The Lord provided, and it worked out great. There was other times, though, it didn't work out so great when he was chased by Saul across literally the entire country, when he struggled and was overwhelmed with his own sin and didn't handle that very well, which led to his other major problem in his life, which was his children. And as his children fought, and he was overwhelmed with those kids as well, and so David is a great example of someone who was overwhelmed and sometimes handled it well, and Sometimes he didn't. And in 1 Samuel chapter 23, Saul is chasing David all over uh, Israel. And as he's chasing him, he's not just chasing him to track him down. He's chasing him to track him down and kill him. And as David and his men are in the town of Kilah, they stay there and the town turns them over to the point where they say, David's here, Saul. Come kill him here. And so David and his men run away and hide. And we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15. It says, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you, and even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. And so David is overwhelmed with Saul, who's come out to kill him. And as he does this, I love this passage of Scripture because it gives us a clue. Jonathan, uh, which is Saul's son, goes out to David. And the irony of all ironies, the person who's trying to kill him, his son, goes out to try and encourage David. And in verse 17, or 16, it says that Saul's son's Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. If you want to know what your role is, if you're not currently overwhelmed, or maybe even if you are currently overwhelmed, our role is to help others find strength in God. There's no record that David called out to his friend and said, hey, come find me. Come track me down and spend some time with me. No, Jonathan was the type of friend, and this is what I would say what we should be willing to do as Christians, is the type of person to go and just find out who those people are. You don't need an invitation to go help them. You don't need an encouragement from somebody else. Our role is to help people find strength in God because that's where our strength comes from. And so we see Jonathan. He goes to his friend. He helps him find strength in God, and he reminds him of the truth. If you remember in the second week of our Overwhelmed series, we looked at Elijah, and Elijah knew the truth about God. He just needed somebody to remind him. 
And that's often the case. Many of you have been in church longer than I have been alive. And we still have to remind ourselves early and often the truth that we've heard so many times before, the truth that sometimes when it comes from a guy like Jonathan, it finally clicks with David. He knew to trust the Lord. He had seen God provide before. He had seen God show up before. And when a guy named Jonathan walks in and tells him that he's going to help him find strength in God, it, it, it changes the trajectory of David's life. We know so much because in two chapters later, David had the chance to kill Saul. And I believe that the reason that he spared Saul's life is because Jonathan came two chapters earlier and reminded him of what was true about God and what was true about himself. And it changed literally the trajectory of what David was experiencing. Maybe... There's somebody in this room, or there's somebody online, or there's somebody at home who is waiting for someone to come and help them find strength in God. And so if you're not overwhelmed today, I would suggest that's the, that's the role for you and for me. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you can share. There's a lot of ways, and I'm just going to give you a few. Um, you can share scripture. You can pray with them. You can share how God has showed up in your own life and, and the times in which he's been faithful, just like Rich did today. When I asked Rich, he said, oh, please let me share. He was almost giddy to share about what God had done in his life. We should be willing to do that. I mean, I have to be on the screen here in church, but find somebody. Uh, we can share the gospel. One of the most important truths of how God has changed all of our lives, how he can redeem anything. You can remind me of what we talked about over the past four weeks, and as we look to wrap up our Overwhelm series, I just want to remind you, in week one, we looked at when your problems are big and your God is small, you'll be overwhelmed. In week two, we looked at when we have an enemy whose goal it is to destroy our trust in God. In week three, Pastor John reminded us that lament is the response to being overwhelmed, crying out and being honest. I love what he said, being honest with God and being honest with ourselves as well. That's the response. And then last week, he showed us through uh, Paul and also through Nehemiah that God's grace is sufficient to carry us through. So there's a whole lot of things you can say, but in the limited experience I've had with working with people, sometimes the most important thing you can do is just be present. You don't have to say a thing. Just be a good friend and listen. And so if you don't currently find yourself overwhelmed, I would encourage you to go out and help someone else find strength in God. If you are overwhelmed, be reminded that God never wastes our pain. Over the past couple of weeks, many of you have helped out with a playground and, and, and been a part of that. And I just, once again, want to say thank you. But as Michael Young and I worked to put this thing together, we realized we needed some more help because we just weren't smart enough to do it. And so we got a guy named Larry Tyler who goes here, and he, he can pretty much pick up a quarter with a backhoe. Um, and he came out, and he just laughed at what our plan was. He said, no, here, guys, here's what you need to do. He had the right tools. He had the right knowledge, and he was able to step in and help us, and it would not have happened without those two guys and without everybody helping out. I love, though, that God has also given us brothers and sisters in Christ who, who know how to walk people through pain, who have the tools and have the knowledge. And I want to spend the remaining 10 or 15 minutes with our time today to invite a couple of friends of mine to come up and introduce them to you, Gene Crane and Dan Johnson. If you'd help me welcome them. And Gene uh, and Dan are both gifted counselors and brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't know if they know how to run a backhoe, but I do know that it didn't take long for me when I started out in ministry 
as I went to counsel people, it didn't take long for me to, you ever get that feeling when you realize you're in over your head? And it just kind of hits you like out of the blue. And I remember meeting Jean probably years ago now, and uh, she gave me a couple of pointers on just how to help people and to walk through them. I don't even think she realized she said it at the time. But um, I, I counsel a lot of people, and there are many times where I'm like, you need to talk to somebody who really is able to help you out with this. I can point you to Scripture, and that's true. But there's also some people that have dealt with so much pain and so many problems, and God has gifted us. In the book of Proverbs, over 50 verses talk about seeking wise counsel. 50 of them. And I didn't count how many verses are in Proverbs, but I know there's a few more than that. But 50 verses on seeking wise counsel. And so uh, if you guys would, just introduce yourselves, and then we'll, we'll talk about a few other things. Yeah, so I'm Jean Crane, and I've been a licensed mental health counselor for about 19 years. Um, I work at a faith-based Christian counseling center here in Avon called Care to Change. I'm Dan Johnson, and uh, about 20 years ago, I founded what's called New Day, which is an addiction recovery uh, program that is faith-based and uh, that offers both outpatient and also inpatient services. Great. So they, they have a kind of a different, uh, some different vibe or different, uh, inch, yeah, and, but you guys are also going to work together here pretty soon, right? Yeah, we're really excited because we share the same heart and mission for helping people. And so Dan works with substance abuse, and we don't actually have substance abuse in our clinic. So together, we're hoping to partner to kind of do a youth outpatient service for substance abuse. Great, great. So if you guys had two minutes to help me and help us understand how to help people better through, through difficult times, because in reality, maybe not everybody's going to show up at your offices, but... If we all can help each other find strength in God, what would that, what would you recommend? Well, it's funny because um, when I was thinking through this question, I was thinking about exactly what you've already said. Okay. So um, I'll just tell you, I think that uh, relationships heal. And so when I first started counseling, you know, you're kind of thrown out there and you're hearing these hard things people are talking to you about. And I was just so overwhelmed sometimes, like how in the world am I supposed to help? But the good thing that I learned about counseling was that it's actually the relationship that you build with the person that you're meeting with that's the most important factor for them getting better. Mm. So thank goodness sometimes when you just don't know what to say. So I want to say that to you guys as a church family, you know, God originally created our families of origin, our parents, to be that safe place of attachment and connection, but sometimes that doesn't happen. But I think there's a reason why he called it the family of God, because you guys can be the family for people who've been through trauma. You can build attachment and connection and relationship that really heals. And so it's exactly what you already said. I would say two things, be a really good listener. The more that you listen, the more that relationship can be strong and deep. So that's a, an important thing I think is listening. And then also just the fact that we're talking today about destigmatizing coming to counseling. I really appreciate that because I just want you to know you're not a spiritual failure because you might have to go to counseling. We've all been through things, so if you can support other people and encouraging them, if they're at a place of need that they can come and seek counseling, I think that um, helps people because sometimes in the church you might feel like, oh man, I, I can't do that. I just have to pray more, read the Bible more, and absolutely please do that. But just also know that getting some support from a counselor is not a spiritual failure. In a big way, um, that's how I got into what I'm doing now. When a friend of mine uh, called me one day and said, uh, my son has a heroin addiction, what are we going to do about it? 
And uh, the word we was not lost on me as uh, he was asking me to walk with him and with his son through that uh, incredible challenge. And that's kind of what ultimately led into me doing what I'm doing. And um, a part of that is to recognize that uh, the intensity of the problem oftentimes drives the intensity of the solution. And a lot of us only have so much bandwidth to be able to walk with someone um, and so sometimes we need to call on others that have maybe walked similar paths before of helping people and that maybe have found uh, some things that are more effective than other things. Um, I am always learning. Part of being a counselor is not being an expert, it's being a learner. And uh, it's constantly understanding more and more about people and why they do what they do and the kinds of things that can help them. And so, uh, but along the way, a counselor cannot do all the work. Um, it is critically important. One of the things that we always do uh, in substance uh, abuse uh, situations is we need a mentor. We need a pastor. We need a friend uh, that is going to be able to provide that community uh, that is going to walk with people, not just over the next few weeks, but months and even years in order to be the, the help, the support, the encouragement uh, that we vitally need uh, in all of our lives. Great. Great. Thank you so much. What... Um can you talk a little bit about how your faith and your ministry of counseling kind of come together and what that looks like in a, in a normal day? I feel bad because I'm starting all of them, Dan. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so for me, two things. I think um, I went to grad school and got my master's degree at a seminary called Trinity. And what I loved about that was that we got to study theology and psychology. And um, it's really not the integration of the two, but it's that where does psychology line up with scripture? Because scripture is our bedrock. And so um, it really increased my faith as I was studying psychology to realize that God's truth is timeless and it works in people's lives. And so when they do social science research or the study of psychology, what works in people's lives, it always comes back to what God's already said. Um, so just for instance, one of the most, um, one of the treatments that people often use is called CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And um, it's talking about how what you think about affects how you feel and how you feel affects the behaviors that you engage in. Well, God's word tells us to take captive our thoughts and to think about those things that are lovely and pure and of good report. So I mean, the things that work are things that God has said to us in scripture. So I feel that to me is so helpful. The second thing is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in the counseling setting. So like I said before, there's definitely so many times when people are pouring out their heart to me and telling me about what they're, what they're going through. And I'm just overwhelmed and thinking like, what in the world do I have to say to this? But the Holy Spirit is there. He knows. He already knew. He's not surprised by this problem. He's not overwhelmed by it. And he can help lead us through that. And so sometimes I literally just say, I don't, there are no words to say right now. You know, and I just am asking the Lord in my spirit. And that's my intention every single time I meet with someone is, God, will you please show us the path forward and lead us? And um, sometimes he does, you know, I love it. Like, I'll say something. Who knows what it was? The person will come back a couple weeks later and they'll say, you're not going to believe what God did in my life. And it had nothing to do with what I said <laughs> and everything to do with what God had done in their lives. And so all the glory to him. It's not that I'm a fantastic therapist. It's that he's a fantastic God. Amen.
Uh, I come at what I do from the role of a pastor. I've been a pastor for a long time, and so I'm kind of accustomed to teaching the truth. This is just put in a different kind of package in a way, and, and really counseling, in, in my view, oftentimes is it's truth, but it's in a package of compassion and care and addressed to a, a more specific uh, individual need. And um, in so much of what happens in the substance abuse world, anyway, is an attempt to get people sober, to help them to stop drinking or using drugs or something like that. But part of what, as a Christian, that we're able to understand is that that's only a certain part of the battle. Uh, the real victory comes not when you're empty of a chemical, but when you're full of the Holy Spirit and all that God is seeking to accomplish within your life. And so the, the greatest joy that I experience is being able to see people take that next step of, of not just being able to say that I haven't uh, had a drink for so many days, but to be able to respond to the issues of life and build relationships and have a sense of purpose that is built because of their relationship with Christ. And so really, apart from a spiritual foundation, uh, solutions are very, very hard to come by uh, that would be lasting. I, uh, I didn't ask you guys this. I should have sent this to you. I thought of it last night as I was going to bed. But there's a mental health tsunami. There's a drug uh, tsunami that is hitting our, our, literally our county, but especially our state as well. Can you guys talk about that for just a minute for maybe people who aren't aware of what's going on? And the, it's easy to get bogged down by all that's going wrong, but there's, there's some really good things happening as well. And there's, um, there's the, the hope that we have. And so if you guys could, maybe Dan, you want to start? Sure. Um, I mean, you're right. Uh, there's all kinds of, of studies of, of what's happened. Even since COVID, alcohol sales during the lockdown were up by 55%. Um, and so a lot of the ways in which people have coped uh, with the crisis that uh, we've been going through over the last several months is through an increase of chemical use of one sort or another. And um, even though in some ways things like the opioid crisis uh, kind of slid back in the headlines as all the other crises have, have uh, taken over, uh, it's still very, very strong, incredibly uh, damaging, um, and to be very candid, uh, the use of meth is just as great and just as uh, wreaking just as much havoc in our in our communities. The good news is that I believe, and I hope I'm not overly hopeful, but I think that these types of subjects are becoming, and I applaud all of you for being willing to talk about this. It's not being hidden away. I had a pastor tell me not too terribly long ago um, when we were talking about these issues, he said, I don't think there's anybody in our church that that would affect. And my response was not, boy, you must have a great church, I want to join. My, I didn't say what I'm about to say, but I was thinking, your eyes are closed. Um, it's everywhere. It affects families everywhere. Um, probably about 50% of families have someone in their circle that has struggled in one way or another. And the good news is that there are lots of resources. Uh, there are opportunities to reach out and to get help and uh, start with your church and go from there. Yes, and I would say um, just the mental health side, we're seeing an increase in anxiety, of course, because there's just so much going on culturally and depression as far as like, what hope do we have? 
But to me, there's no better time than now for us to share the hope that we have in Christ. Everything that the missionary stated about the fact that really we don't have control and we're all recognizing it in COVID, we don't have control. We don't know what's gonna happen in two weeks or in a month, but God is not surprised by it and he does have control and we can trust him because he's a good God. And so what a great chance for us to be able to share that. Awesome. Well, Dan and Jean, thank you so much for being willing to share a little bit today. If you guys would help me tell them thank you. You guys can stay here if you want. Yeah, so, you know, when Paul talks about it, equipping uh, one another for works of the ministry, um, I hope you can see that there's a couple people here who love the Lord, who are gifted in what God's given them, and they're a resource to you. Uh, Gene is just in Avon. Dan's on the, well, he's a little bit everywhere, but the north side in Bloomington, they've got uh, stuff going a little bit everywhere. And that these people are, are love the Lord and are happy to help, and they're going to be back in the back for a few minutes afterwards. And uh, just as you think about it, um, our church, as you said, there's people struggling with everything that they've talked about and more and our, their family is struggling with it. And so we just wanted to, to share a resource with you today and uh, just remember that God never wastes our pain and that our job is to help others find strength in the Lord. And so let me pray for us as we go out to do that this week. God, thank you so much for your love for us, that you're in control, that nothing catches you by surprise, that, Father, you're not overwhelmed by what has happened here in the past six months or what may happen in the next six months. God, we do ask that your son Jesus would return soon, but if you do choose to leave us here, God, I thank you for the gift of one another, the grace that you've shown us in that. God, the grace that you've shown us in giving us brothers and sisters in Christ who know and understand uh, not only your word, but in other ways how the mind works and, and how addiction works and ways that we can help one another. And so, God, we thank you for Gene. We thank you for Dan. Thank you for the work that they do and just ask that you continue to bless it. God, if we find ourselves overwhelmed this week. I pray that you would help us to trust you. That, God, that you would remind us that you're worth everything. That as Rich reminded us that our trust is to be in you. And, God, if we don't find ourselves overwhelmed this week, I pray that you would put us in places and help us interact with people in a way in which we can share your truth, that we can share your love, and we can share your hope. God, I pray that maybe... In spite of all the negative things of COVID, God, I pray that you might save many people, that they may come to know you because of the, the discombobulating things that have happened over the past six months. And for us that do know you, God, help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.